chapter two part three of the book of love by paolo montegazza this librivox recording is in the public domain morning capuscules of love a still more turbid source of love is vanity to hear that a woman is very beautiful and chaste that she has never permitted herself to be loved is an immediate stimulus of sudden ambition to the man who knows that he is strong and adores the daughters of eve and the daughters of eve in turn very willingly persist in throwing the baited hook to catch the cold lonely fish who lives in the most dark recesses of solitude and chastity hence many challenges sent and taken which lead oftener to a conquest of bodies than to true love the great woman lovers who have long since renounced the virtue of sublime love are accustomed to conquer all the conquerable solely for vanity's sake solely to tie with amorous chains to their triumphal chariot a new slave and a new victim they nearly always like to conquer the most difficult and different characters and you may find them ardently wishing to give the first lesson in voluptuousness to the innocent as well as to subjugate the most cunning and oldest libertines besides vanity the goad of morbid curiosity has its share in this choice of victims as curiosity is one of the strongest threads in the psychological web of woman a tart wild fruit may stimulate the appetite of a palate too dull as would the mordant pungency of cheese too old the frivolous woman is passionately fond of this alternating of sour and burning tastes of this succession of men inexperienced in love and men only too well versed in it and lettery may go so far in these natures as to cause them to love through mere curiosity of the unknown even excluding lust which is not always necessary in these pathological tastes at any rate even when vanity alone has brought a man and a woman together a posthumous sympathy may awaken a real love with healthy members and a long life it is however always a love that resembles the rich man who was born a peasant and true upstart that he is may in the midst of luxury and pleasure and in the most courteous manner kick you out of his presence when you least can afford it to be born well is really the first problem of life in all cases and democracy itself cannot succeed in overthrowing the ancient aristocracy unless it can boast of a legitimate and noble birth man who daily accuses of vanity his female companion shows oftener than the latter the most grotesque and clownish forms of that sentiment and we rarely see him renounce the puerile ostentation of those of his loves which had the bastardly origin of vanity how often has he reached the lowest stage of cowardice by casting up to the woman who blessed him with love that he sought her love only to adorn with another trophy his triumphal chariot woman instead almost always even when she has desired to be loved out of vanity alone even when she is about to dismiss the servant who has wearied her will give him a testimonial which makes him happy does not humiliate him 
and will satisfy him that he pleased for a day a month a year the woman who perhaps feigned to love him or loved him very blandly no man feels humiliated in thinking that he was the sweet victim of a caprice all feel dejected if made the target of a vainglorious speculation and many other times woman with a very refined and generous tact pretends not to understand that she is desired and loved solely out of vanity and gradually succeeds in making men love her for herself and for herself alone the friendly enemy not perceiving it she succeeds with subtle art in substituting a sincere and warm passion for the narrow ambition that had inspired the attack and the conquest one of the thousand proofs that woman is superior to us in sentiment in the same degree as we are superior to her in mental strength one of the thousand proofs that woman always endeavours to elevate even the basest loves while we so often want to force under the caudine forks of luptuousness even those loves which like the eagles were born on the highest rocks of psychology lust is the prolific mother of most vulgar loves nay this sentiment is to many only the necessity of drinking at a spring found to be sweeter than any other nude love without the splendid garments of imagination and heart stripped even of the robust flesh lent to it by the sentiment of the beautiful is reduced to a skeleton which is lust and which for very many is all they think of love what a poor wretched thing a practice of lasciviousness woman converted into a cup which we prefer to any other because we have long been accustomed to satiate our thirst out of it to have possessed before having loved to have been possessed before having given the kiss of love what ignominy what baseness and yet love is such a magician that at times it can perform the prodigy of being born of lechery loves born of lust are the most difficult to preserve and every day of their life is a difficult and rare conquest even the most perfidious cunning of the arts of pleasing blunts against the insurmountable difficulties and woman after having brought into play all the witchery of body and heart may see her victim snatched away from her by the first comer love may be warm ardent thirsty but the glass that satisfies it is always made of the most fragile crystal and may at any moment fall and be shattered into a hundred pieces revenge which is a form of hatred may by incestuous nuptials become a mother or better a stepmother of love to be deceived and to know it to wish to humiliate the guilty by flaunting in the latter's face a new love to seek it finding it in one day there is the source of love out of revenge the unfortunate paranymph who acts as the call-bird of a degraded passion does not always perceive the trap allows herself to be loved loves and often amuses the person who pretends to love him and those who unconcernedly witness the shameful spectacle vanity makes us blind and it does not permit us to see that perhaps in the period of a day we have been seen desired conquered and while inflated with pride we display our feathers like a peacock we do not realize that we are actors in a comedy stage to humiliate him or her who is loved always and more than ever in some very humiliating cases we serve as rubefacient and sink so low as to be placed on the level with a mustard poultice or a leech and the cure effected at our expense is so quick and perfect that we 
are immediately dismissed like a physician who is impatiently paid and impatiently taken leave of because his services are no longer required these however are the most unfortunate cases and belong to the ugliest pathology of the human heart in other instances love out of revenge becomes through the virtue of either or both of the lovers a true and real love which cures the old wound and opens a wide horizon of happiness to the man and to the woman who have become acquainted in such a strange manner and it may then be said that he who was to be the revengeful execution of the unconscious minister of the justice of love becomes instead first the physician and afterward the lover of the offended and a new love arises on the ruins of the old one i certainly do not claim to have studied all the pure and impure sources of love but i would feel satisfied if i had touched upon the most important ones and outlined the genealogy of this sentiment in an analytical work however great may be the care exercised in order not to detach adhere things it is next to impossible to avoid breaking some fibre or destroying anything it frequently occurs that the source of love is not one but double or is formed by the collecting of various streamlets so that it would be difficult to state whether the newborn is a legitimate son or a bastard a slight but sincere sympathy may be associated with great vanity but the desire for revenge may fortunately for us fall in with a warm and violent affection thus lust vanity compassion gratitude may meet at the same time and fecundate a love which later may flow limpid and pure in its bed although its source was an impure muddy stream sometimes a human being loves another not for the latter's sake but out of a strange resemblance which the latter bears to a person long loved and perhaps already lost thus it happens that one may love the daughter after having loved the mother and there have been cases in which one has loved even three successive generations the excessive disproportion in the age of the lovers a certain mummy effluvium exhaled even by the most carefully embalmed bodies gives to those loves a character that induces me to place them at least on the frontiers that separate physiology from pathology i would therefore term them physiopathological loves of mixed origin are the purer and warmer the larger the part played in them by sympathy and this element alone would suffice to allot a place to them in the hierarchical scale of nobility the influence which the first origin exercises over love is so lasting and so prepotent that more than once affection suffering from a dangerous illness recovered suddenly at the tender remembrance of these thoughts you really love me one day of your life you are mine by love and nothing else and yet i loved you often a man born in the highest place and of noblest blood sinks gradually into the mire loses his dignity his fortune even the most superficial appearance of manners and behaviour yet if you observe him attentively you will certainly find in the nobility of some gesture in the majestic tone of his voice in some refined taste such traces of his ancient origin as may have survived the shipwreck and so it happens with a well-born love i have seen passions dragged in the mire of abjection tattered and foul like a velvet rag picked up in the gutter i have seen love sold and bought again and passed through the hands of a hundred hucksters at the public auction of vice and infamy but in those poor shreds i have always found something that had remained intact and revealed its ancient and noble origin and with my own eyes i have witnessed fabulous resurrections that seemed miracles and redemptions that caused me to think of the divine intervention of and of the galley slaves too archaically rehabilitated through the rose-water bath of our modern philanthropists 
when love begins we may entertain some doubts as to the reality of the passion before our eyes the heart beats more quickly than usual and in the serene sky some clouds pass and evanesce in the deep azure perhaps in the distant mist we behold at times a lightning flash but will we have a storm or fine weather if the heart is forced to answer it may in these cases make the same solemn mistakes as the meteorologists in their almanacs or from the university chair embryos in their first stage are all similar and even the most powerful microscope cannot distinguish to-day the egg of the lion from that of the rabbit incipient sympathies growing friendships affinities about to become loves are all crepuscular things faintly delineated on the grey horizon and the human eye may be easily deceived but we cannot cast any blame upon it and love too assumes so manifold and varied disguises as to render it difficult for us to make a good diagnosis in many cases however it is always easier to recognize love in our own home than in that of others notwithstanding the fact that it is much more important for our happiness to know whether we are loved than to realize that we really are in love to distinguish in others the true love from the mendacious you may be helped by this physio-psychological essay while in order to explore your own heart scant attention to the phase of your sentiments will suffice one truly loves when to the agonizing cry a man a woman a friendly distant voice replies do not weep i am here one loves when after hearing that voice the cry subsides and the deep void of desire is filled one loves when the desire of the beloved is placed above everything else one loves when one suddenly blushes or pales if he hears a name or the familiar swish of a garment that approaches one loves when one involuntarily has on one's lips one name only a hundred times in a day or when one ceases to pronounce a word which one was pronouncing a hundred times before one loves when one's eyes are always fixed on one point of the star map where the creature dwells who has become half of ourselves one loves when one hurries to the mirror at every instant to ask of oneself am i beautiful enough and when one restlessly explores the abyss of one's own conscience with the query can i be loved one loves when in every fibre of the heart in every atom of the organism the sap of life is stirred and rushes through every vein and every nerve so that an intimate penetrating deep commotion warns us with thrilling voice that something great and unusual is in us as though god had visited us this is the true love that is not appeased by lust nor quieted by ambition nor cooled by distance that does not even lose itself in the dreams of the night the love that to abandon us must carry away with itself a large piece of bleeding flesh and tortured nerves End of chapter two part three